Malachi, the first chapter, verses 6 through 14. Malachi, the first chapter, verses 6 through 14. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. And if then I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you. O priest that despise my name. And you say, wherein have we despised thy name? How do, you, how do you figure that we've despised your name, God? This is what the priest would be saying. And so he answers, Malachi the prophet answers through the voice of the voice of God working through him. He says, you offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and you say, wherein have we polluted thee? And that you say that the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if you offer the blind for a sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? He's just telling me. He said, you're going to give that to the governor? He comes in and you're going to give him bad bread and lame sacrifices? He said, is that what you're going to do? And now I pray you beseech God that he will be gracious unto thee. Thus hath been by your means will he regard your person, saith the Lord of hosts. Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do ye kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. From the rising of the sun even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. But you have profaned it in that you say the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof even... His meat is contemptible. Ye said also, Behold, what a weariness is it. And if you have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts, and you brought that which was torn and the lame and the sick, thus you brought an offering, should I accept this of your hands, saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flocks a male and voweth, and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. Lord bless you, you may be seated. Commentator uh, once said this, and, and I'm quoting exactly from him, and, and, and of course it makes sense, and I think if anybody's ever studied the Scripture, you would understand this, uh, what he's saying here. And, and his words was this, he said, Cain evidently thought that anything that he brought to God should have been acceptable to God. He was concerned with pleasing himself by his offering. You don't always just offer to God to please yourself what is acceptable to you. This is what he's saying. Because this is what Cain did. I gave my best. You know, I, I've always believed, and I've taught this a lot in Bible studies, that when he brought the best of his vegetables, fruits, whatever he, uh, of the ground, that he was more than offering them to God. He was showing them off. Look what I have raised. So that's why it, it, was, it was not just the fact that it wasn't a blood offering, but it was the fact of the attitude that this is what I'm doing. This pleases me. So if it pleases me, God, then it should please you. And this was, this was his problem. So when God pointed out that Cain was falling short, Cain's response was to become angry at both God and his brother. Cain's violence towards Abel reflected Anytime you have someone who can't get along with somebody else in a church, and that reflects their attitude towards God. If I can't get along with Bob, 
then I've got a bad attitude towards God. That's right. You see, that's that's the key factor, and remember that when you get upset with somebody. And I realize all of us, uh, you know, get walked on, kicked at, and some things things are just misunderstood. We get upset, but if we cannot make it right biblically by going to that person and trying to work the situation out, then our attitude towards God is not correct, and we and reflects that. Well, if this person wants this person wants to work things out, they'll come to me. And then the other person, well, if this person wants to work things out, they'll come to me. That reflects that if we're going to work it out with God, God's got to come to me and tell me I need to work it out. That's pretty bad, isn't it? But just as Cain, just as with Cain, what we give to God in worship is a part of our relationship with God. A good gift is one that blesses and pleases the receiver. If you wanted to bless me, now I know how things go, but you want, you want me to be happy with a gift that you get me for Christmas, and you bring me, you bring me down a Barbie doll with all of her accoutrements, I'm not going to be pleasing to me. In fact, I probably will sell them just as quickly as I can, try to get some money out of it. I'm certainly not going to be someone who plays with a pink Barbie car, and you know, I, that's, you know how that is. I seen something in the paper this morning. I, I, you know, I get the paper. My wife gets the paper twice a week. Yesterday's paper. This is got, it's got to be from hell. Yesterday's paper paper dropped on. I wasn't going to read. I don't even read them. And I glanced at it and I seen something that had. I see, the first thing. Little bitty letters popped out said NRA. And I knew that somebody was bashing. So I read the article and got mad. <clears throat> This morning, I get the paper. I seen a picture of two females that got married. It's in, I, I, you know, and so that's all, that's all I had to do. Instantly, the, the thing, the, the Bloomington paper, has got got a spirit. It does. It has a spirit. And you say, then why do you do it? It's just you know how them spirits draw you. <laughs> I, I don't know. I really don't know. I even went down and got it. Well, really, I wanted to read the comics. That's the only thing interesting in the paper. You know, and then I let my, my mind, you know, you get on, you see something there that you want to get angry about. Uh, people like getting mad, I think. So anyway, this, is, this shows the, you know, it, I, 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 a good gift, again, is one who blesses and pleases the receiver. And since God is the creator and actually needs nothing from us, the reason to give has more to do then with a relationship with God than with God's need for anything provided for his work. God doesn't need anything from us. But it just proves our relationship and our love relationship with him that we want to give something to him. That is, that, that's the key for everything. The true worship of God or, or giving to honor God, that, 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 is, that is what we need to do and how we act as Christians or as true Christians. It's amazing how arrogant humans can become toward God, demonstrating their erroneous idea that they should have their own way and that they should get whatever they want or what they should never, that they should never suffer. Now think about this. There are some of us that believe that we should get whatever we want from God and that we should never, ever suffer. 
Yet the Bible is replete with, with, with Scripture that tells you that if you suffer with Him, you will reign with Him. And that we should be, we should be content with what we have. The Bible tells us that over and over and over again. Yet somehow we think that God is some kind of mystical uh, uh, Santa Claus, if you want, that wants to give us everything under our little Christmas tree. We don't want to get into that. It's getting towards that time. We'll get through Halloween first. So, you know, that's how, and so, so that attitude is this. That attitude shows you that you think that everything revolves around you. That all of life revolves around you. You know, it, it, it's upsetting. It's upsetting when you see people make messes. And it happens in the church a lot. And, you know, if you, I know that... Uh, Sister Krause has to clean up and do it. And, and it's, it gets upsetting, even though you know it's going to happen. But you know, if you're there and you're sitting and you see somebody make a mess, and you know that you're going to have to clean that mess up, and, you, and they just get up and leave that mess there. And this is in the house of God. That, 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 what that does is shows you how their relationship is with God. God, I expect you to clean up every mess that I make. Somewhere along our relationship with God, we should stop making messes with Him and should be blessing Him. So it comes down to Ecclesiastes, the 12th chapter, verse 3. So let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. This is the whole duty. So living our lives for God is what gives Him the most honor and pleasure, is living our lives for Him and blessing Him in just simple things. So we're going to talk about that today. I'm just getting you ready for the lesson. I'm just talking. God's indictment of Israel for failing to honor him. Uh, and we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to talk about that. The nation of Israel, what Malachi said, might honor its parents or masters. But the people saw no reason to honor God. And they acted out their contempt by offering him polluted bread, blind, lame, and sick animal sacrifices. Israel then profaned the name of the Lord by saying, The table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. And Malachi 1.12. And they added insult to injury by snuffing. You ever wonder where that came from? And that's what the Bible says in Malachi. You know, it's interesting. The more you study the Scripture and you see these little words. For instance, I told my wife the other day, I was, I was uh, looking at Anak and, and his sons, the giants. And, and the, the word that these giants were fellers, you know, that sounds like something you'd hear down the southern part of Indiana. There were good fellers over there. And so I thought, you know, fellers. So, so somewhere along the line, that term, you know, my grandpa used to call Noah, Noe, and it took me a long time to figure out that in the Greek it is N-O-E, Noe. And so my grandpa was calling Noah, actually, in the Greek, Noe, which that's how it's pronounced. So now I see Anak and his sons being uh, related to as fellers. And so I just got looked up the word, and it meant that they felled trees. They were lumberjacks. You know, I, I, you probably all knew that, but I didn't know that. So it made me a little bit smarter. Now, when I relate that to you, say you're a good feller, that means you cut a tree very well. <laughs> but that's what it was. And, and, and so you, you begin to see these things, and, and, 
and understand that you know that there are certain ways and uh, that they that they do things. You know, snuffing is 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 one of them. So what is snuffing? Snuffing is going around going. <laughs> so were they talking about snuffing? You know, putting snuff up their nose. What they were doing was that, and, and we've seen that, that. We've seen people before, or you've heard it in the past, where someone kind of snuffs at something or raises their nose. They don't think that is it. Well, that's really what that does refer to. When they were snuffing at God, they were saying, this is good enough, and they turned their nose up to God. And that's what Malachi was telling them. Uh, so they were dishonoring or snuffing. Uh, they're offering to the Lord by saying, what weariness is it? So they were saying, what weariness this is for us to have to come to church or to the temple, if you would, and offer these sacrifices day in and day out, and we have to offer a special sacrifice on special feast days. This is getting weary on us. It's like people who sit at home say, we have too much church. That's exactly the attitude that this is speaking of. This is just getting weary. I've got things to do. I've got shows to watch on TV and movies to watch. I've got all this to do. You know, I've got to go to, I gotta go to 40 football games on Saturday and mow my yard on Sunday. I don't have time to go to church. Got to go fishing. I'll give you the fishing, all right? Got to go fishing on Saturday. I know what you are. i got your spirit there. Okay. <laughs> i got... I gotta go fishing on Saturday, so you know I gotta go. I gotta go kill a deer on Saturday, and I can't go to church. You know, I'm the first one to say that I know that there is times you need to get away. I'd be the first one, and I don't never begrudge anybody that. And there's times that you need time to yourself. But on the other side of it is that when it becomes a habit, and when you start, because the the devil will see to it that there's always something that comes up that stops you from going to church. It becomes habitual, and, and that's where you have to be careful. So that's what they were doing when it says they were snuffing or dishonoring their offering when they said what weariness this is. So in this, in this lesson, we're going to study how we're to, to honor God with our worship, our substance, our praise, and our very lives. God honors those who honor him, and conversely, he condemns those who do not honor him. It's important that we learn how to honor God, and for doing so is the, 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 the very essence of salvation. Honoring God is the very essence of salvation. Uh, there was a, uh, a, a private in World War II. He was just, well, actually, he was private. He was a recruit. And uh, there was an officer that walked by him. And because he was of a race that this, this recruit did not respect, he did not salute that officer. So the officer took his coat off, hung it on a post, and made the recruit. Salute that coat 100 times and explain to him, he said, it's not me that you're saluting. You're saluting what this coat and what this stands for. That's what you're doing. So let me give you this. Whenever you honor a man of God, you are also honoring God. Whenever you honor a man of God, you are honoring God as well because of what he stands for. Honor is defined as great respect or worship of God is an, or excuse me, our worship of God is an outgrowth of our respect of Him. No one can worship God who does not first honor Him. If there's a deficiency in our honor, there will be a deficiency in our worship. For honor is worship in its, its embryonic state. 
Honor becomes worship only when manifested in action. Thus then, that honor alone could be called passive worship, but God wants active worship. And although thoughts, let's just let's go there, because I know a lot of times that we, we do this, and I want you to understand something. If you talk to God in your mind or in your thoughts, that is honoring God. They, you know, keep that in mind. Some people think that, well, you know, you've got to get out and get, and, and I believe that you do need to get out and talk to God out loud and get loud and all this, but it also honors God for us to be able to just talk to Him in our thoughts. Although thoughts are not actions, are not considered actions, if we pray to Him in our thoughts, it is worship. And, and for we're expressing our thoughts to Him, and expressing thoughts to Him is a form of worship. But on the other hand, if worship never goes further than a person's thoughts, that worship is lacking. So we should endeavor to worship God in both thought and action. Our mind, the Bible says, in great peace, I think that's not that one, that's a different one. Um, I will keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon me, for they trusteth in me. Okay, so then our thoughts and our minds are on him at all times, then we are honoring him in worship, but we cannot always do that. I come to this place. I honor him in my thoughts and my mind outside this place, but I come in here to be able to express it with action. And that is the fulfillment and complete worship. That's why we do. That's why we make the noise that we make. And that's why a lot of churches are getting to the point anymore that they no longer want to have the action of worship. They just sit back and they say they're going to have thoughts. Well, that's not the way it's always done. Yes, thoughts do honor God. And yes, I do. You know, my mind's on God sometimes when I'm driving. My wife will tell you that because I don't know what I'm doing when I'm driving. But it, it, it's, it's also the very fact that when I come in here, it's not just a matter of me sitting up here and closing my eyes and having a, a thought worship session because I might go to sleep and I don't want that to happen so what do I do I come to church to begin to give the action to my thoughts and praise and honor him with everything that I have through that praise God you ever stop and think about how many people no, 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 just, just bear with me for a minute if you would look, and, and some of you have, uh, some of you know, at the fervent actions of worshipers of false gods. You, you think about this. It's real easy for us to understand that when it comes to the Muslims. You know, it's in the paper. We see what they do. You know, they kill themselves as worship. Uh, you know, kill a few more of us ugly old Gentile people. And, and you'll kill a few. Actually, we're, we're devil spawned to them, but... You know, kill a few of us, that's worship to God, they make it to heaven. So think about that. It really should give us pause. Because they love their false God. They adhere to false religions. They go to great lengths to worship a God that does not exist. Many of them embark on pilgrimage or inflict pain upon their bodies in hopes of placating their gods. They enrich the temples of their gods by offering their substance. When we were in Bali, my wife and I, that was one of the things that stuck with me more than anything else. Everywhere you went, they had these nice buildings set up, and they had, there was really nothing in it. But you see, every morning they had candles lit, and they had the best of their food laid out. And some of these people, you know, they were in poverty. They lived in poverty, but they took their food and laid it out because they worshipped monkeys. And the monkeys would come and get the food. And, you know, they, the monkey helped 
the good God. He wasn't a God per se, but he helped the God to defeat the bad one. And so they worshipped, and every day they would give to this. And, you know, I got to looking at it thinking, my God, they would give this out of their poverty, and look at us. They literally gave everything they had. They would go without food in order to placate a monkey. I think that's where the term monkey's uncle came from. But, you know, think about that. You know, it's... it's it's, it's amazing, but they were so dedicated to this. And here we know Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Here we know Him. Here we, we know true truth to its, its fullest. We know that God came and, and, and died for us, and, and we know that He did it because out of great love, yet we give Him, and this is what Malachi was going, we give Him leftovers. It's hard for us to make it to prayer meetings. It's hard for us to, to, to do what we need to do and, and, and not necessarily He doesn't need it. We need it. God doesn't ask us to do anything because He has to have it. He asks us to do it so that it can help us. So honor the Lord. Let's, let's move it. That's with our worship. We honor Him. But let's, let's look at our substance. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. If we love God with all of our heart, we will worship and honor him with our substance. To love God completely is to have no thought of withholding from him that which is his. Or he has generously supplied. Let me just put it that way. He supplied everything. And so we withhold from him. In fact, the word substance in Proverbs 3.9 means wealth. Money, wealth. We can honor God with our wealth by obeying Malachi's mandate to give tithes and offerings in Malachi 3, 8 through 10. So he describes what our wealth is. He describes that. Now, if we have a healthy respect for God, we will give promptly, willingly, and cheerfully. Every man, according to 2 Corinthians 9, 7, every man, according as he is purposeth in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. You know, from the story of the rich young ruler, we learn the reluctance to obey the Lord in, in financial matters reveals something here. So whenever a person is not giving and there's a problem here, in finance, and, and listen, folks, don't, don't, everybody has to, Come to this on their own. You know, I've heard everything. You know, my husband won't let me pay tithes, or, or my, you know, or my wife spends all my money, or whatever it is. Don't come and, and look for me to give you an okay, because that's not my business to give you an okay. You're the one being hurt. Why would I say it's okay for you to do that and hurt you more? You have to come up with that all on your own. You have to figure that out by yourself. It's just like this. You know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't give you the Holy Ghost. I pray for you. You might receive the Holy Ghost, but I don't give it to you. I don't make the decision for you to be baptized in Jesus' name. You have to make that decision. You know, I don't know what you do in secret all the time, so I'm not going to tell you you need to get down here and repent of a particular thing. You, you know you need to do that. And it's the same way with giving. So whenever a person is reluctant, it reveals a spiritual problem. 
because this excited young ruler ran to Jesus asking him what he should do to inherit eternal life. And he told Jesus that he obeyed the commandments since he was a child. And Jesus looked at him with love and he said, Go thy way, whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. And, and I'm sorry, go sell whatever thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. Mark 10:21. The young man's smile turned to a frown, and he walked away sorrowfully, for he counted his wealth as a greater treasure than following Jesus. So he, he, this, 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 was, this was his wealth. For Jesus to ask me, to give up my wealth, to follow him, to give everything I have to the poor. Our ability, and I want you, if you don't get anything else from this particular portion, get this. Our ability to give or not give of our substance is a litmus test of our spirituality. That's how we tell how spiritual we are. Many will give of their time and their talent, but balk when asked to give of their substance. Knowing this, Jesus taught more about money than he did about heaven and hell. Eleven, listen to me, eleven of 39 parables of the New Testament address the issue of money. Eleven out of 39. So obviously it's a problem. He wouldn't have addressed it the way he did. I'll say with our substance, with our worship, we also honor him with our praise. Psalm 104.33 says, I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Now, we have established that worship can be silent as we meditate on him. But when our meditation manifests itself, the result is praise. And we lift our hands and sing, according to Psalm 63 and 104 and 134. We clap our hands and shout unto God with a voice of triumph, Psalm 47 and 1. Dance before him, Psalm 149 and 3. Kneel before him in submission, Psalm 95 and 6. The book of Psalms contains more than 150 references to praise. A pastor, it's a, this story about broke my heart. A pastor had a man in his church, a young man, that he had pastored from, you know, from birth. And he was born without arms. Both arms were gone. No arms. Born. From his shoulder down. And he said they were having a real good service one night. And he said, I looked down. He said it was at altar service. And he said, I looked down in the front. And he said, that young man was laying on the floor with tears in his eyes, with both of his legs sticking straight up in the air, worshiping God. Now you think about that. No arms to do it, so he figured a way to praise God. He figured a way to praise God. And, and, and here we are. We've got our arms. We've got our hands. And how often do we fail to raise them? How, many, how often do we fail to clap our hands? And you're blessed because you have those. God not only is the great emancipator, He also is the great reciprocator. We think we know how to give back and return, but God's ability surpasses all of us in this area. For example, the Bible commands and promises, He says, Give, and it shall be given unto you, in Luke 6.38. The word admonishes, draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you, in James 4.8. 
Whosoever, there, whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, will I confess also before my uh, Father which is in heaven in Matthew 10.32. Let us not forget the Bible also warns if we deny him that he will also deny us. In 2 Timothy 2.12, he is a reciprocator. You do the good things, he gives you good things. You do the bad things, he gives them back. So that's exactly, you deny him, he'll deny you. But if you give, he'll give to you. You know, he, he's, he, he, he confesses you. If you draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. Now, what greater, what greater promise is there than that? When you draw nigh to him, it means he's going to walk beside you. And whatever you're involved in, whatever messes it may be, you've got God standing right there beside you. You've got something there that's going to protect you. You've got the angels that surround you. Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying? This is exactly when you begin to draw nigh to God, you don't have to worry about anything that's going on around you I've tried this and proved it this is one of those TP scriptures you know you tried it and you proved it you and, and we all as human beings we have a tendency to to go the carnal way uh, that's just the way especially men they they want to take care of things themselves but on the other hand if you you stop and think about it when you begin to really draw nigh to god you begin to pray you begin to seek god then you're just that feeling you know i walked out this morning walked down uh walked down to the mailbox and and it was a beautiful morning and they got our road tore to pieces so there's a lot you know little less traffic on it except for those Porter Ridge people, I think they, well, anyway, <clears throat> we won't go there. I think he drives his bus down there. <laughs> Brother, I don't want, that is so ignorant that I can't even, <laughs> I've had people say, you know, uh, I, I had people tell me, if I had a television, I wouldn't watch that. I, I wouldn't, you would, you would, you would watch that. <laughs> You think I would just so that I could get angry? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'd love it. I probably would love it. No. 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 I am not going there where people with no teeth say that, that, that that's what Owen County is about. Absolutely not. Got that. I thought I'd make me a reality TV show. <laughs> Can you get away from here? Okay, let's go. To, let's get in. See, that's carnal. That's about as carnal as you can get. And you get carnal, and that's what you're going to get. Get carnal in return. You get angry when you get carnal because you think of carnal things. Yeah, let's let's look for a minute. The midwives in Egypt, when when Israel, the, the Israelis, became so big, so many of them that Pharaoh looked and he said, Now, if, if the enemy comes against us, these slaves, being so many of them, can turn, can help our enemy, and they can destroy us. So he came up, and we'll just put it in the term of a diabolical plan. It's actually had more than one. That he was going to, and he talked to the midwives. He said, If you see a male child born, he said, I want you to kill it. But the midwives, the Bible said, feared God, and they did not do. And so when Pharaoh called them to task and asked them why, why are there still male children, he said, oh, he said, those, those, those Israeli women, he said, they're lively and they have babies before we even get there. And you know what God did? This is, <laughs> this is one of those things. 
it's one of those things that has, uh, how can I say it, intrigued me. Bible tells us not to lie, but God blessed them for lying. Now, how do you deal with that? Huh? God blessed them because the Bible says, and in fact, and I think it's Exodus 20, it says that when, uh, when a man, and I'm just paraphrasing here, when a man, a, man, a man pleased God, that he would establish his home and his family. But that was a promise to the men. But in this case, because these midwives did what they did, their families were established, and it was a woman. It was women. So God stepped out of the arena of blessing a man who was supposed to be the head of the family and blessed these women because they did what he, uh, you know, he asked them to do. Actually, you know, they, he, I don't think he even asked them. It just, they did it because they feared God. So then let me ask you this. Is it okay to lie if you fear God? Is there such a thing as a holy lie? You say, nobody wants to stand out on that one, do you? So is there, I, I, you know, really, I can take you to a lot of places in the Bible where people have lied and been blessed. A lot of, people, a lot of places. Now, you go in the New Testament. Now, that was Old Testament. You go to the New Testament, you see Ananias and Sapphira. They lied and they got killed. It's because that they, of the way and what they did. Does that give me a license in to lie? No, it doesn't. But it does give me a thought that, I, I, that there are certain things that we may be called to do in the end times before the Lord comes that is going to, you're going to wonder, you know, what do I do in this situation? Because I think things are going to get so difficult. We're not going in tribulation, but I think what we, we will go through before the tribulation, before the rapture takes place, the tribulation happens, I said it's going to be very, very hard. And it's going to really separate some people. And you better know what you know. You better know it very well. That's why it's so vital to understand what the Scripture does teach. So vital, so vital to hide it in our heart. Well, I won't, uh, I won't uh, leave you there. We'll just move on from that point. All right, let's look at the story of Joseph. It's one of the most dramatic stories of the Bible. And to his jealous brothers, Joseph's dreams made him look egotistical and arrogant. And they hated him. They tried to turn Joseph's dream into a nightmare by throwing him into a pit and selling him into slavery. He served as a slave in Potiphar's house and then served an undeserved prison term in Pharaoh's dungeon. Even his rapid elevation to the palace did not fulfill the dream God had given him as a boy. But regardless of the sorrow of being separated from his family and the hardships in Egypt, he honored God. And one day when Joseph was almost 40 years old, God fulfilled his dream by bringing Joseph's brothers and father to Egypt to bow down before him. He forgave his brothers' treachery. He sustained them and their families during a great famine. Paul wrote this. He said, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not, in Galatians 6, 9. We can be encouraged that when we honor God by doing his will, regardless of the immediate outcome or circumstances, he will eventually fulfill his promises. So let us hold fast the profession of our faith without waving, for he is faithful that has promised. Joseph, in his own way, lied. He hid his, who he was from his brothers for a while and made him go through. He got a little bit of his own back. Now, we can't, you can't work around that. He did before he finally revealed himself. 
And he made them go back and get Benjamin. He made them go back and, and do all these things, and they were scared. You know, he hid the cups into their, in, their, in their sacks, you know, and then they went and sent the army after him. He got a little of his own back, but again, we're talking about Old Testament. You know, we use Old Testament. The Bible says that it was given to us for examples. But there are certain things that are clear in the Scripture in the New Testament that, that, that puts us in, in line with what God truly wants. What they did in, in, a, in a carnal way in the Old Testament, we see some things in a spiritual manner within the New Testament. So it's vital for us to, to have some understanding when it comes to a lot of this. Daniel. A young Jewish man taken into Babylonian captivity honored God by refusing to defile himself with the king's meat and by making a lifetime habit to pray three times each day. King Darius noted Daniel's integrity and wisdom and placed him in the upper echelon of the media Persian government. The king preferred Daniel above the presidents and above the princes because an excellent spirit, excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. And this obviously created jealousy among the presidents and the princes, for they sought an occasion against Daniel. Finding none, they decided to engineer a way to destroy Daniel through his obedience to the law of God. So the presidents and the princes went to the king to request that he establish a royal statute of anyone in the kingdom within the next 30 days, ask a petition of any god or man, save the king, that he should be cast into a den of lions. However, Daniel's knowledge of the decree did not curtail his habit of opening his window and praying towards Jerusalem three times a day. It didn't matter what the edict was. He was still going to continue doing what was right. Now, in that case, he was going against the law of the king. But in that case, we are, whatever the laws come about, if it goes against the law of God, we are not forced to do these things. I am. Uh, I've been waiting for, for Lori to get better over her little cold that she had. And <laughs> yeah, I've been waiting because I, uh, I've got, I, my wife and I have talked about this. I got something the other day from, uh, uh, I can't remember what it is. Anyway, it, 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 was, it was established by, it, was, it looked like it was done by a Baptist lawyer where they put it in the bylaws of the church, and it's done very well. In fact, I'm going to have a deacon meeting about this, and so we're going to change our bylaws about that we would not marry in this church two people the same sex. Well, I know in Indiana, I know in Indiana that it is, uh, you know, I think it covers us, and the UPC is actually coming up this this uh, this time in October. They're coming up, and they're changing their major bylaws to include that. Uh, that, but we're going to put them in also in the bylaws of this church covers because people are being sued. They're being sued because they refuse to do it. And if we have the bylaws in the church, the UPC has bylaws that covers those things. But I, I, I'm saying, that you, you know, you've got the law out there that would tell you that you have to do this, but you've got the law of God that tells you that it's an abomination. Okay? So who, what, do you, what do you abide by? You always abide by the law of God. Absolutely obey the law of God. And it's sad that we have to think in terms like that to cover yourselves, but anymore you, got to, you have to think that way. You have, to, you have to be covered in these areas. And I don't know. I'd rather marry someone to their dog or horse than I would. Anything. 
Well, it'd be easy to get the obey part out of a dog, wouldn't it? Yeah. It's easier than getting a woman to be obedient. Let's say hallelujah. Let's move on. <laughs> I thought I'd wake everybody up. <laughs> so there you got Daniel. Didn't curtail his habit. The conspirators ran to inform the king of Daniel's violation of the decree, and Darius had no choice but to cast him into the den of lions because the laws of the Medes and the Persians could not be changed. There is a, the, 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 Darius, in this case, had a great ego because they set him up because they could not change the laws after they was made into a law. It could not be changed. So they set him up. Oh, we want everybody to just pray to you, you know. That makes you a wonderful person. So he made it into the law for 30 days. This is the way it's going to be. But touch the ego a little bit, and you, you'd be surprised what you can get out of people. And so they did this, and as a result, he lost someone he loved very much, or he thought he was going to lose someone he, he loved very much. And so the next day he ran. He said he was up all night and says, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God able to deliver thee from the lions? In Daniel 6.20, Daniel assured the king that he was fine. God blessed Daniel, the man who honored him, by sparing him and extending his honored position throughout the reigns of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Cyrus, the Persian, and Darius the Mede. So he worked under five different kings because of the fact that he was loyal to the one true God. So that's something that we all need to learn when it comes to being faithful. These faithful people that we as well, God always rewards faithfulness. If you're faithful, you will be rewarded. It may not be in a week. It may not be in six months. It may not be in six years. But you will be rewarded. That is why Paul said what he did to the Galatians. Don't be weary in well-doing. He said weariness sometimes overcomes us. But if you continue to be faithful, if you continue to know and keep your eyes on the Lord, if you continue to watch and know that God will bless you, you will be rewarded for faithfulness. You never go wrong by being right with Jesus Christ. Let's give him a hand clap of praise and adoration. You know, one of the, one of the best ones, King Herod Agrippa I, delivering this pompous speech. He probably delivered a lot of pompous speeches. So he delivers this one, and all the people, again, working towards his ego, say, oh, it's not the voice of, of a man, but this is the voice of God. And the thing is, is that Herod Agrippa believed it. And so as a result of him believing it, Acts 12 chapter says that God killed him. And he had a very shocking death because of that. <clears throat> one of the things that I have, I have written in a journal, I've, I've actually brought it to department head meetings before, probably say it again this time. One of the things that's my personal uh, statement of faith is that no flesh should glory in his presence. I get so, I've been so weary over the years of seeing flesh glory in God's presence. And you see people who've got all these big ideas on outreach. You've got people who, who get up on the front and they sing and they've got, well, they've got great voices. They're you know, great for all this, all this stuff. But you, you see flesh glory. You don't see God getting the glory. And listen to me, folks. Listen to me. That is the one thing that you'll see out the Scripture when there's too much vain glory. Too much vain glory. People, people die. 
people die. You got to be careful who gets the glory. I don't care how well you can preach. I don't care how big the church is. I don't care how well you can play a keyboard, drums, or or sing. It doesn't pay to get any glory at all for yourself. If God if God has given you ability to give God the glory for it, not vain glory, but give God the glory for it. Paul said, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory in Philippians 2.3. Vainglory is translated from a Greek word meaning empty pride or a desire for praise. Both Herod and Nebuchadnezzar gloated about their successes in order to reap the glory and praise of men. God condemned these two men because they heaped honor and glory to themselves instead of glorifying God for their works. Now, failure to honor God reaps judgment. And if we do not receive the judgment of God in this life, there awaits us a certain judgment. And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. If a dignitary were to visit our city and we were responsible for meeting and escorting him to comfortable lodgings, we would need to learn necessary protocol. I, I told this story once before. It's, it's one of Billy Cole's books. I think he, he written, he's, he's gone now, passed away. But it said that he was meeting the king of Thailand, and before he could meet the king of Thailand, he had, to, he had to study a manual on proper protocol when you went before the king. And one of the things that he could not do, he had to keep eye contact all the time. He said, because if the king saw you looking at something else out there, he would think that you thought something was more important than he was. Isn't that interesting? Now, that's a king of Thailand. Little... Backcountry, country. You know, it's not. But this is, if we keep our eyes on Jesus Christ at all times, then we're letting him know that he's the most important thing in our life. There is nothing else more important than him. And whatever we do should be done to the glory of God. Whatever we say should be said to the glory of God. We should never allow anything to step between us and Jesus Christ. And our eyes should be kept on him at all times. Ephesians 3.21, And to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Ephesians 3.21 makes it clear that God is glorified through his church. And we were born of the Spirit, we became a glorifier of him in this world. And being a part of the body of Christ enables us to honor him in the greatest venue possible. Worshiping and praising God with his corporate church is uh, it's like... The soundboard on it, of course, it's, it, we don't have the old-fashioned pianos, but you've got, <laughs> you got a soundboard on a piano, and that's what resonates the sound. So if everybody in a church is worshiping God, it's like, it's, it's like being in, in that, on that board. It's like the board. It makes the sound uh, go out in a great way, large way. But if you're just one person doing it, it's like hitting one key and just hitting that, that one whatever it is in there, and it's just kind of a dull thump. But when you put it all together, you put it all together and everybody is worshiping God, then it's like it's resonating from that soundboard. So, so that's why we have corporate worship. Do you realize how much more glory? I mean, God loves it. One person worshiping God loves it. I guarantee you that. But when everybody worships, there's such a sound that goes up into heaven that it can't help but get the attention of God no matter what. 
That's what it's so wonderful when people, whether whatever you can do, if you can't shout, then you can whisper, but do something to allow your praise to join together with the rest of the church in order for it to have that beautiful sound instead of it's that dull thump of one person. One person making nothing. It's so, it's so wonderful when we can do this. So Paul admonished the church, he said, to be filled with all the fullness of God in Ephesians 3.19. Everyone can and should honor God individually, but one person's capacity for the fullness of God is limited. But the global church body, with Jesus Christ as the head, can praise God with voices raised in a great crescendo. For all things are for your sakes, that, he, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God in 2 Corinthians 4.15. The Amplified Bible says it this way. Uh, for all these things are taking place for your sake, so that the more the grace extends to more and more people and multiplies to the many, the more the thanksgiving may increase and redound to the glory of God. So the more that people worship together, wouldn't it be great if they used to have, I, I wonder sometimes, now most churches don't have church on Sunday night. I, you know, I, wonder, I wonder if that's somehow hindered the church as a, as a corporate body. Because you know, at a certain time on a Sunday night, all these churches used to raise their voices in praise. And, you know, it may be that we're here, but, you, you know, someone in another state, maybe this time's off a little bit, but not that much. To where all these people, all these churches was worshiping and raising their voices. You know, you, you talk about, you know, a lot of times in these world network of prayer, they try to get people to pray at the same time, and that's, and that's good and it should be done. But what if you could get everybody to praise at the same time? What if you could have a full-fledged worship service, everybody together? wonder what would happen. I've never heard that one yet. But what if everybody would lift their voices together at the same time, that somehow they could manage to get everybody at the same time to raise their voices? What a, what a thing that would be. I guarantee you that every church could feel the difference. I think every church could have something amazing happen within that particular local assembly if everybody could do it together, even in this area. If we could all do that, what a wonderful But, you know, some people are way too, uh, too, you know, proper to raise their voices. I've been in church for 40 years. I don't need to raise my voice anymore. God is blessed to have someone like me. You know, I'm important. I got a lot of money tied up in that church. I wonder how God hears that. You know, you don't see too many people say it, but I wonder how many people think it. I'll wait that preacher out. He's not going to make me do anything. I'll get him blessed, God. That's what Lori does to me all the time. You know. I haven't seen, She's gone. What'd you do, run her off? Oh, yeah. <laughs> who's, uh, whose phone was that? Yeah, calling your mother? <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you, oh, it's an important call, so you better get out and take it. All right. Great thing about these kids that you've had all this time, you can still insult them all the time. I, that's just, just over and over. Look how much you put up with. I don't know. Makes you a better person. I always know to do it to make you better. You know that. <clears throat> you know, the rich and famous of the world always brag about how many homes they have. You know, well, I've got one in Malibu, and I've got one in, uh, you know, down in Miami, and 
you know, so forth, three, three, four homes. Every, every child of God should have three homes. Don't you agree? We should have three homes. We should have our domestic home. We should have our church home. And we should have our eternal home. So all of us should have three homes. Now, first, God wants us to have the domestic home. That is the bulwark of, of godly society. In the home, we establish a basic moral and spiritual fiber that goes into the making of a Christian. Parents should teach their children truths and establish principles and make them not only better Christians, but better citizens. Second, God wants everyone to have a church home, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see that day approaching in Hebrews 10.25. We are to be faithful to our church home for our church establishes within us truths that we might be able to please the Lord and be saved. Now some individuals never settle into a church home and therefore they never learn how vital a pastor is, not only to them but to their family. It's what the Bible says, Obey them that have a rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, that they may give an account, that they may do it with joy, and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. In Hebrews thirteen seventeen, A pastor not only instructs, but also protects the souls of church members and warns them of lurking dangers. The third home is our eternal home. We are to live in such a way that we will be guaranteed an eternal home in heaven. And our homes here on earth are temporal, but the reality that we have an eternal home, that's a comfort to us. 2 Corinthians 5.1 says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I, um, I've heard it, and you, I've told this story before, and it, this, this, this left a little story here that, that reminded me of, of one of my great aunt uh, when she was dying in her 90s, and where... She kept raising her hand. She was out of it, but all she knew to do was raise her hands. That's her life. And she could see her lips moving. And you get down real close to her, and she was repeating over and over and over again as, as she was dying. She was saying, Jesus is forever. Jesus is forever. And then <clears throat> another story was a couple, the pastor and his wife went in, and this was a Native American woman that she was dying. And she was doing very similar to, to what I just told you. Only she was saying, they kept hearing her whisper, and they got down close, and she was saying, I have a home. I have a home. I have a home. Wouldn't it be great to know that when your time comes, that's the way you're going to go out? Not with fear. Not wondering if I did everything right throughout this relationship with God. But knowing that you've got a home. And knowing that Jesus is forever. Stand with me. Again, don't forget that it is 6.30, uh, the drama tonight. Now, I think the reason they changed it on the timing was probably because of getting in there. They can only get in there at 4.30. Need a little extra time for practice and setup. Uh, also, again, I remind you, you are welcome to be there. And, you know, if you have someone that needs a seat and you're not an old person like me, then you stand up. And, and I'll, I'll go around and be sure that you do stand up if someone needs a seat. And how many seats? Anybody knows? How many seats is in place? 300? 300 seats. Well, we might be able to do that. We might be able to fill that thing up. 
I'd like to see it, wouldn't you? I'd like to see it, and I believe it will happen. So let's, uh, let's go, and let's, let's expect some great things, and I believe God's going to do it. And I know there's been a lot of work put into this, and I, I'll thank them afterwards, but right now, beforehand, I want to at least say, I want to say thank you. Kim Evans not in here, but uh, for her and for all the cast, I know it's been a lot of effort. You spent a lot of time, a lot of time working on this. You ought to have this thing down to such a science that if any problem at all to do it at any time. So thank you again. And Lord bless you. Let's raise our hands to the Lord right now together. Father, we thank you for your blessings, your goodness, your mercy. I pray, God, that your will can be done here this evening. And God, we know what your will is. It's not your will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I ask it now, Jesus, that you would touch with an anointing every cast member tonight. Be with them, touch them, strengthen them. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you.